Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio program dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight we have a very interesting program, but I really need your help to make it even better. So I'm going to ask you to please start calling us as soon as you can. Uh, right now, though, we're going to introduce a few of our topics. And in about 10 minutes, please start calling us at 718-683-5858. Or you can text your questions or your uh, ideas to us at 347-927-8398. Again, the studio number is 718-683-5858. Before we begin, I just want to say that we all have our minds and our hearts upon someone who was lost in Israel, Aaron ben Chulda, should have him in your tefillos, uh, a young man learning in yeshiva who was disappeared, and everybody is very concerned. So Aaron ben Chulda, an American from Lakewood, learning in Eretz Israel. Uh, this week I received a, a response from someone who was listening, Baruch Hashem, and he said that in a recent show uh, that we had mentioned something which he had a little bit of a, uh, a different idea about. When we were talking about basar and chal of meat and milk, I don't know where it came up, but we were talking about waiting six hours between meat and milk, which is the commonly accepted practice among the Ashkenazim. Uh, although there are one hour, three hours, you know, five and a half hours, but in, in reality, the main shita is, the main approach is six hours. So I mentioned that, so I think somebody asked something about sleeping, whether sleeping affects it, and I made a mention that that isn't the halacha, and uh, this gentleman wanted me to know that there are other opinions, and even though may, that may be the predominant, that you have, that the, the sleeping doesn't affect the number of hours, there are those who say that if you slept, then uh, you don't need the full six hours. How long the sleeping is, whatever, that's an interesting question. But anyway, let me present the position that this gentleman uh, was mentioning. So he sent me uh, an email to me, a tshuva, from somebody who put out a sefer called Piskei Teshuva. That's not Piskei Tshuvos, it's not Piskei Alachos, it's called Piskei Teshuva. It's a, the name of the person is the one who wrote the Sefer, Avram ben Chanoch David Petrukowski. Literally, it's Petrukowski. Uh, probably say Petrukowski in America. And it was written in Tufshin Kof Zion, which is about 50 years ago. So it's not the current Sefer. And he says, an he brings this story, which is interesting because he himself was of the opinion that uh, the sleeping didn't matter. But here's the Shiloh that he presented. He says, it happened to be Chag Shavuos, and he really wanted to have, in the morning, he wanted to have milchiks. But the six hours hadn't passed from the time that he finished eating fleshiks. Obviously, he didn't sleep very much. It was less than the six hours. Uh, and so that obviously, he was, uh, he was up learning late. Or he davening, actually was davening very early. That's not so, not so strange. And he wanted to come back and eat, and the six hours weren't up. So he vishamati, and he says, I heard that people say, on Shach Shvuas, you can be makel, you can be lenient about the six hours. 
just because it's Shavuos and there's an Indian of eating milchiks, so therefore the concern was that if you are going to limit it to, say, six hours only, so this gentleman wouldn't be able to perform that minig. And so for that, he wanted to rely on this idea of less than six hours. So he asked his Rebbe, which is grandfather, doesn't tell you who it was, and Amali and his, and his grandfather told him, if, if you slept in the afternoon, see, he stayed up the whole night of Shavuos night, but he had slept in the afternoon, so then you could eat Meicholicholov, you could eat milchiks. I don't know the exact way it's working out over here. Must have been he had fleshiks in the afternoon or something, and uh, maybe it's a second day. I don't know. Whatever it was, but the point was he had did, he had had flashics, and he had slept in the afternoon. He stayed up all night, and uh, somehow that night was a short night. Whatever it was, anyway, it's not six hours from the time he ate meat. So they told him that if he had slept in the afternoon, then that would be sufficient. This is this rabbi's grandfather telling him this. The Shemati, the, the the author of this sefer says, and I heard Shekain Hora. Dodi Hagon Hakodesh, Moreno Harav Rabenu, Doiv Berish, says Chatzadik, the Kodesh Levracha, from Biala. So this David uh, was from uh, from Biala, he held the uh, same thing too. And the Hitil Ishtos Mashkete im Chalab Boke Hashkem. What was the whole thing? It wasn't a piece of cheesecake. It was just to have a little milk in his tea, which is not an American custom, but in Europe, that's what they do. Even though the six hours hadn't passed from the time he ate meat at an evening. Uh, so he said, release Suffolk, and I'm sure that if my grandfather and then uh, my uncle had said all this, said, I'm sure, he says, that uh, it must have been that they received it from my great-grand, from my, uh, from my, my grandfather, my uncle was doing this, he must have heard it from my grandfather. And therefore, you know, this is the whole tshuva that he, this gentleman sent me. So I figured I'll look around a little bit more since he already told me that there's such an opinion and I wasn't so aware of it before. I had heard people ask the question. I had never heard anybody say it, uh, that that would be the halacha. So I just figured I'll look around a little bit and I came up with something which was interesting, which I saw in the... Um, Halachically speaking, from my friend uh, David Leibovitz, who's been on the show a number of times, Rabbi David Leibovitz works for the uh, Kav K, and he puts out what, we, what he calls halachically speaking. And on the topic of the six hours, so he brought down the following. One who had a barbecue or eats meat late at night and then goes to sleep still has to wait six hours. Sleep does not exempt the person from waiting those six hours. For example, if you ate meat at 1 o'clock in the morning and you slept till, and you sleep till, at 1.30 and you woke up at, and you went to sleep at 1.30 and you woke up at 6 o'clock, you still have to wait till the, the six hours finishes. But he brought down a couple of opinions here and they're very interesting. There's a sefer called Dola Umashka who brought a, a footnote that Rav Yashiv is lenient and holds that one can eat after this, he slept if it's still before six hours. So I don't know if uh, we, uh, if anybody's established that, what Rav Yashiv said, but the quoting Rav Yashiv, that if you slept, it helps for the, if you don't need the full six hours. 
Now he said, this makes a difference to Rav Yashiv, because Rav only sleeps three hours a night. But we sleep at least six hours, so it doesn't really play a role. Of course it would play a role. It plays a role in shops at the noon. After you, if you sleep after having the main suda, but you can have to wait for Shalashudas until six hours. So it would play itself out for us too. Anyway, Rabbi Yashiv is supposed to have said this. But uh, he quotes on the people who say that you have to wait the full six hours and not rely on that hetter. He quotes Rabbi Belsky and uh, Sefer called Zichron Moshe, Beis Avi, these are all different Svarim, and Darke Halacha, and Hech Sheiros. These are, he's, he's got some sources here. I didn't check them up. And in them, they may be bringing down other Svarim as well. So you see, there really is the discussion, but I think that the predominant opinion, although I see he's quoting Rav Yashiv, and he's quoting a Sefer that quotes Rav Yashiv, Dole Mashke. So if, we, if Rav Yashiv really held that opinion, then of course it's a very serious one, and, and anyone can ask their own Rav what they should do, whether they can rely on sleeping to uh, take care of the, uh, of the six hours, instead of the six hours, that the sleeping would replace it. So that's one thing I thought would you find interesting. And now we had come across uh, an interesting question, that uh, a product that people are familiar with. Many people uh, go to uh, have gone to Starbucks stores. I mean, we, there's a whole question of what you could do in a Starbucks store, and we discussed it here. And if you want to see a discussion by Richus, a complete discussion, you can go to the websites of the uh, of the Star K or of the CRC. Stark-K.org or CRCweb.org, and those, uh, those websites have a very clear discussion about the Starbucks. I would not rely on what they call kosher Starbucks. There's a certain website. It's not according to halacha. Anyway, there's a product that's sold in regular stores. It's called Starbucks Ice Coffee. And they have sweetened, unsweetened. There's, there's three varieties. The unsweetened is the one that I'm talking about, but I'm not sure if it's any different with the other ones. I, of course, if it has uh, milk in it, there's a, you know, then, then directly a, a dairy issue. But over here, this product says Starbucks iced coffee. It's a 48 ounces, and it's from the North American Coffee Partnership in Purchase, New York. It seems that... Some people are buying it, and they see a plain OU on it. And this gentleman who lives out in New Jersey contacted me and told me that he, uh, he, he had somebody over to his house, and that person had the same exact kind of a bottle, and it said OUD. So he's coming to me. What is the story with this product? Is it dairy? Is it pyrovore? Are there two plants? Is it a different? What's going on here? So I told him I'd find out, and sure enough, I did. Uh, the OU wrote me back that the, uh, that the product is, I'm going to read the words of the, that the OU told me, although we probably won't print it exactly this way because this was an internal letter to me. The product is me'ika hadin parva, which means halakhically it's parva. But the OU wants the OUD on the label because even though the equipment in this plant is cleaned, it would want to have, we would want to have a mashkiach see each cleaning and monitor the production schedules. And obviously the mashkiach does not do that. So the rabbinic coordinate told me that the company is now using 
only OUD labels. So it's true that there were some labels that said OU and some of us OUD. They've opted to use it as call it OUD, but as of this point in time, the product is halakhically considered to be parva by the OU. So that's an interesting question that many people would be uh, asking about, etc. So those are the the questions that I had. And in just a minute, we're going to begin tonight's program with a, an interesting halachic discussion, which I think you're going to benefit from. But let me just take a moment to talk to you about Glotmart, which is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. I think of, of, of Glotmart, I always think of price, service, convenience, and quality. Because whether you shop for a few items or a full wagon load, you can play, save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. And they have weekly specials running from Wednesday to Tuesday, you can see them on their website or on what's on sale. Uh, there's usually about 50 items on sale. I don't have them this week, but uh, you'll be able to see them when you come to the store, the little uh, paper with all the information about the products that are on sale at that particular time. And the Glotmart's convenience comes in two packages, parking and time. You can save plenty of time by using their valet parking service. Just pull into Glotmart from the East 12th Street entrance, and they'll park the car for you and have it ready to load up with those, all those special items you purchased in the store. And at Glotmart, the quality of meats is A1. With kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vatakashas of Flatbush, with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor, at Glotmart, you're getting quality kashras. Glotmart is a 1205 Avenue M, meaning your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart on Kashras on the Air over J Root. And now we're ready to begin our program for tonight. Uh, it's 6.15. Give me five minutes, and you can call. If you want to start calling now, you can call now, 718-683-5858. We'll try to answer your questions. We'd love to hear your Kashra stories or any Kashra issues that you have to discuss with us. You can also text me at 347 uh, 927-8398. Again, 347-927-8398, or call the studio, 718-683-5858, even if it's just to say hello and to share with us uh, your feelings about the show or anything else you'd like to talk about, including the magazine. I'd like to offer again to every, all of our listeners that as long as the J-Deal special is running on the, the web, we're offering it through JRoot as well. The JRoot, the J, the J Deal special is fifteen dollars for an entire year of Cautious Magazine. That's a twenty-five dollar value, and it includes the new 2015-2016 uh, book called the Kosher Supervision Guide. That book is comes out every two years. It's a two hundred page book and sells for twelve dollars in the store. And you can get that included for the fifteen. The $15 that you will pay for a subscription. So it's really, really a big mitzvah. If you want to do that, call us at 718-336-8544, or you can uh, email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Again, the, the office number is 718-336-8544. But now I'm at the studio, and you can call us here, and be on the show at 718-683-5858. And until we get some callers, I'm going to share with you a few halachic issues 
that I think you'll find very, very helpful. When a rabbi, when you have a shaila in your house, a question comes up, something got mixed up, there's a question, let's say you were stirring the cholim with a milchika spoon, or you stirred a, a vegetable soup with a milchika spoon, and it's in a fleshika pot, what is the halacha? So the first question any Rav asks, and it's a, whole, a question you have to ask yourself, is how do you know the spoon is milchiks? <laughs> the spoon is milchiks. I've been using it for 20 years. I know that's how it's milchiks. doesn't matter. Do you know if this spoon is milchiks? Well, of course it's milchiks. What else do you think? I keep it in milchiks. I wash the milchiks silverware. I store my things in milchiks. What's the question? The question is, I asked you again, is it milchiks? Do you know? It has to be that it was used for dairy. A lot of times people use things that are made in dairy equipment, and they're not using it on dairy itself. And even if they'll tell you, if they'll tell me that it's dairy, I ask, is it Ben Yomo? And most people don't really focus on what it means a Ben Yomo. Ben Yomo means it was used today, which means in the last 24 hours, you used it for milchiks or for fleishiks or treif, whatever it is, but use it for that thing. So let's say milchiks. You used the spoon for milchiks in the last 24 hours. So we're going to ask you a few questions now. Yes, you sure it's within? Yes, it was within the last 24 hours I used it for milchiks. What did you use it for? Well, I have my cereal in the morning, and I ate my cereal with the, with the spoon. So it's milchiks. The answer is, it's not. It's not milchiks. It's milchiks, but it's not benyomo because it hasn't been used in hot form. It has to be hot. So you can say, well, my, my, I use, I used it, and I, I take uh, and make uh, oatmeal, and I put it into a bowl, and then I put milk in there, and I stir it with my spoon. I eat it with my spoon. So it's obviously milchiks. Again, the halacha is probably not that way. It's probably not called ben yomo. But it was hot. The cereal was hot. The milk was in the cereal. I ate it with my spoon. What else do you want? So the question is, is it, first of all, it has to be very hot. And secondly, it has to be that it's a solid or close to a solid. If you have a liquidy thing like a farina that's, then that may not be called the solid, then what we have is a clichény. It's not, the, it's, not made on, it's not on the fire. If you stirred it on the fire when there's milk in the, in the product, then we'll make it milchiks. Then we'll make it benyomo. But if you stirred your cereal at the table and it was a hot farina that's a liquidy uh, product, very, very liquidy, then halachic it may not be considered to be a milchika spoon today at all. But that's something that most people don't, uh, don't focus on. They sort of feel it's got to be milchiks because it's in my milchika jaw. It's got to be milchiks because I ate milchiks today. I used it to eat. I had a cottage cheese. I had this. I had a cheese. And I, I, you, did all, you did all that. But the question is, was it used in a way that made it a ben yomo used on a, on a kli rishon today? Kli rishon is the thing that's on the fire, the pot. If it's not in the kli rishon, even if it's off the fire, it's called kli rishon. And until it gets to where it's not yad lettuce bow, where it's not that hot that you could, it was hot enough you could put your hand in, then cool enough to put your hand in, then it's no longer called a kli rishon. But until that point, we call it a kli rishon, and it's uh, going to make the, the, the spoon milchiks, as long as there's milchiks in there, and make it milchiks, 
not if it was a parva thing in a milchike container, if it would had to have actual milk in it. And then you stirred it, so then at that point it became milchiks within the last 24 hours, but only again in the klivishon, in the klisheni that halacha doesn't apply. Had it been a solid mass, set, let's say, for example, like uh, a cheese blintz, so you took a cheese blintz out of the, um, out of the uh, microwave or out of the oven, and you stuck the spoon in or a fork into the cheese blintz, and now it's right into the cheese itself. That's called dava gush. Dava gush is a solid. And when it's a solid, the halacha is that the solid retains the din of kli rishon. So all the time that it's warm, it's called a kli rishon, even though it's sitting on your plate. But if it's a liquid, that isn't so. If it's a liquid, it doesn't have a din of kli rishon. It has a din of kli sheni. What is this whole thing about klevishon and klevishening? I'll try to explain to you briefly. The Gemaric says that if you have a, a, a pot that's called on the fire, so that's called a klevishon. And if you have a bowl that you poured the thing into, that's called a klevishening, the secondary utensil. What's the difference between the two? The difference is that the pot on the fire has heat in the walls of the pot. We call it defanos mechamamos. And the bowl that's on the table is cold, and it's called defanos mechararos. It cools it off. So if you put it into the bowl, it no longer has that extra added plus from the walls of the, of the pot that you had while it was on the fire. And you know and I know that liquids take the form of the container in which it's in. So it hugs the sides. A piece of uh, potato kugel or a luxury kugel or whatever it is that sits on a plate is exposed to the plate only on one surface. All the other surfaces, the five more surfaces, all the other surfaces are exposed and not touching anything. So they're actually not being cooled off by the walls of the uh, or the whatever it is, the, or the plate, or the walls of the container, because it's not, it's not flush against the sides the way a liquid is. So the Gemara makes a distinction between a solid and a liquid, and this is, a, a, the, uh, this is basically the shot of the marshal, uh, the, and, and we paskin like the marshal, that we're choishish for, uh, that, uh, that a solid thing retains its heat uh, even after it's taken off of a cle- taken out of the cleaver, you show it and put into a cliche. That's a, that's how most of us follow. So there we have clearishon, we have cliche, we have the solid, which is called a dove gush, and we have the difference between a solid and a liquid. And now you basically understand what creates something as being a, a, a ben yomo. So that Kaylee now became a ben yomo. I have my milchik a spoon, it's milchiks. I'm still not finished with you. I have to know how much milchiks there was there. How much milchiks? Rabbi Wickler. <laughs> the whole thing's milchiks. You put a little milk into the coffee and everything becomes milchiks. What's the question here? 
the, the, I put a little uh, milk into my soup or whatever the thing is. I don't know. Milk may not be a good example. Whatever. I put something in there and milk into this uh, uh, thing that I'm cooking. Uh, I, let's say it was potatoes even. I put, I put some butter in there. So I stirred it with this spoon. So what uh, on the fire, Ben Yomo, fine. Well, it should be milchiks. But it, it can't be more milchiks than the amount of milk that you use today. Doesn't matter what you did a week ago. It matters what you did today. If today you only had a little bit of milk, that's the maximum milk that goes into the spoon. So for example, and this is where it happens very often, you're using margarine. And it says dairy, it says O-U-D. I'm just giving an example O-U-D. Maybe you're going to have a Hamish brand. But let's O-U-D, let's say. So there's a, the, the D means it's dairy. And you read the ingredients and you see whey or some other ingredient there too. So obviously, you're, you're getting milk like a product. But the amount of milk that goes into your spoon is no more milk than was in that amount of, 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 uh, of margarine that you were using. You only used a pad, or a little, a little pad of margarine, a little, a little, little bit of margarine you used, maybe a half an ounce or whatever it is. So in that, there's only a certain amount of milk. Let's give an example of a coffee. Although a coffee is a cliche and wouldn't be a problem for us, but give it a co- example of coffee because everybody can relate to that. You have a coffee, the average person puts in 10% milk into that coffee. So let's just take it, make it easy for ourselves. We'll say there's nine ounces of coffee in the mug, and you add one ounce of milk. So you have actually one to nine, okay? But the total amount of milk that's in here is one ounce, even though there's 10 ounces in the cup, nine ounces of coffee, one ounce of milk. So there's 10 ounces here. So if a little spoonful falls out into your chalent, how much milk are we worried about? The answer is one-tenth of whatever fell in because that's the ratio of milk that's in that product. There's only one-tenth milk there. It's all called milchiks, but it's, since it's diluted so much, it's only the maximum amount that you have is one-tenth of whatever fell in. So if a person is using a little pad of margarine and they're stirring the eggs or whatever it is with a spoon, so the spoon will absorb milchiks, but the amount it's exposed to is very, very little. And now when you stir your spoon into the fleshika food or the fleshika pot, really you're exposing yourself to very, very little milk. And in, in many cases, that saves the day. And I've seen these cases occur where such a situation happened and the halacha was that the food was all kosher in the end because the amount of milchiks that could be in that spoon was so small that it, there was definitely 60 parts against it in that which was being stirred. So I got plenty more to talk about, and I'd love to speak to anyone who wants to call up. And our telephone is 718-683-5858, or you can text us at 347-927-8398. Again, 718-683-5858. So now we have a setup of where your spoon became milchiks. Okay, same thing would be for fleshiks. 
if you use the pot today, a fleshika pot, and you made a parva thing in it, it's not ben yomo. It's only ben yomo fleshiks if you use the um, used fleshiks in the pot, and it will only be as fleshiks as the amount of fleshiks you used. So, for example, if you're making some kind of a of, of a uh, uh, stew, whatever it is, and you put a couple pieces of meat in, that's the maximum amount you had in there. You can't, even though the whole thing becomes halakhically fleshics, and I'll wait six hours if I eat any of the stuff that's in this pot, but the amount of fleshics I have in here is no more than when you put in. So that's an important halacha to uh, understand. Now, why are we always talking about ben yomo and ain't no ben yomo? It was used within 24 hours. It wasn't used within 24 hours. It's because of a special halacha called that Eino Ben Yomo is called Noisein Ta'am Lifgam, that if it hasn't been used at 24 hours, then the taste that's going to come out from there is not going to make anything treif. The taste that comes out from something that hasn't been used for 24 hours, the taste that was absorbed and is going to come out later, is a negative taste. It's not so negative that it going to floor you, because otherwise people wouldn't be able to use their pots. It would, they, would be, uh, we, uh, they would be upset every time that they use their pots. It would, it would make, this, this, uh, make a bad flavor in the food. And that's not what occurs. But what occurs is that the, the, uh, the taste that comes out is a little bit off taste. Then say it's terrible. It's a little off taste. And therefore, it's not going... The halacha says that a little bit of off taste means that it's not producing a good taste in your food. So if treif doesn't produce good taste in your food, then it doesn't make a treif. So even though you have a treif pot, it cannot make your food treif if, you, if the pot hasn't been used in 24 hours. If it's a fleshiger pot, it can't make your milk treif if it was used in 24 hours. So if I, if I took a hot cocoa and put it in my fleshiger pot, which I didn't use for 24 hours for meat, the halacha is that I could eat, drink the hot cocoa. There's no question about it. The pot needs to be kashut, but there's no question that I could drink the hot cocoa. Well, can we have a caller? So we'll take that and we'll go back. Go ahead. You're on kashus on the air. Can we help you? Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit uh, off the topic, something on the topic of uh, milk and dairy. Just something that I noticed recently. Maybe other people uh, know about it, maybe not. That when checking date, that uh, is very common even in the madrugue to have uh, uh, insects in them. So when checking date, if it's not a total direct, either direct sunlight or direct light, very hard to notice them. I know we had Rabbi Vaya on our show two weeks ago, and he told us the same thing: that you should take the dates and hold them up to the sun or to a light source, and then you'll be able to see through them because sometimes they're very hard to see. Personally, right. I have not had... Through the window, and there's a very good daylight, daylight but it's not right. enough. Right. Direct light. What's it? You're saying daylight is not good enough? You want to no, direct... No, daylight doesn't either to the sun or direct light. Sometimes daylight is not good enough. It happens a few times with direct light. Sometimes it's only one dot, and it's very hard to see it. So when it's a direct light event, it's very hard to see because they're very small. But if it's direct sunlight or direct electric fluorescence or hazel lamp, then you can see it. Okay, so people should try that. Truthfully, uh, my own experience is that the worms inside the dates are very large. And now, uh-huh. what you're talking about 
maybe not real worms. To see there's a, a breakdown inside the uh, date. It's not clear exactly what that is. I know everybody... No, it's black. It's black. It's like a black dot. Oh, that's it's something else. Right. Okay, again, what, what, what things look like don't prove anything. You have to examine and see if they really are insects. Uh, well, you, oh. As far as throwing out a date, you're going to be machmir. But as far as teaching people that it's usser, you've got to be sure that those really are insects because a lot of times we could be fooled. I had a situation only a week ago. I mentioned here last week on the radio on that, uh, that we had somebody come over to my house and asked me to come over to see them. I went to the house and we saw these uh, things that they were concerned about that were in the cholent. And uh, I couldn't identify. It was Shabbos. And I didn't have any uh, facility to, uh, to look at them under a microscope or under anything where we'd make it much larger. And so uh, at that point, I said that this is, I can't, I said, I'm not going to tell you it's worms, but it's consistent with being that. It may be because of the form, etc. I got those things, whatever they are, over to Rabbi David Goldstein this past week. And I asked him what he says, and he, and he said right away, they're not insects. He said, I don't know what they are. I'm going to look under a microscope, but they're not insects. He could tell from the very nature because he's very used to it. But a lot of times you can't tell. So a lot of people want to say something is a bug. And if, it, if it's not really a bug, so okay. So what time to throw out a date is nishkafeluch. But to go ahead and teach it that way is wrong. So you have to make sure before we say that these things are insects, that we know that they're insects. If you know it, you know it. You see it under a, 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 a you, you look under a microscope or under a, uh, you know, a loop or something. But if you can't make it out as really a bug, it just because it's looked black and this and that, doesn't necessarily make it a bug. It could just be some no, kind of discoloration. You can't see through water. You can't see through it. You know, when the record becomes very black, right. you can't see through it. I hear you. I hear I thank you very much for the call. Okay, thank you. Got uh, if you want to reach us, our telephone seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight, or you can e- uh, text us at three four seven nine two seven eight three nine eight. Again, the studio seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. So I'm going to go back to my Shiloh here. We didn't even get to the Shiloh. I'm just trying to give you a little background. So if you understand what a Ben Yomo is and an Ena Ben Yomo, you have to get that straight across to the Rov. And you really need to decide yourself if it's a Shaila. I mean, you, a lot of times people uh, call up and they say, it's, I have a Shaila, and really there's nothing, nothing to discuss. It's not an issue. You, if you have an, an, a, a, a Kaylee, let's say, let's go back to my story with the spoon. So I know I used a spoon this morning for uh, or a fork or whatever it was. I used it for that cheese blintzer, and now you're telling me I should consider it to be Flashix. Milchiks, or maybe a better guy stirred uh, hot cocoa on the fire. That's what we'll, we'll all agree with without any uh, humrus, so that that will be called a ben yomo. Fine. Now, and we decided there's a certain amount that's in there. But what happens now when I stir my, my thing on the fire? I have a fleshika pot on the fire, and I'm stirring it now with a milchika spoon that was used today for milchiks. So what, are, so what is, there, is there any way to save this thing? The answer is, first of all, if he, what's in the pot, what's cooking in the pot, 
may very well be a part of a thing. And then the issue is not such a big issue. If it's really flacious, like it's a cholent or a soup or whatever it is, then we have milk and flacious coming in contact with each other. And we have to know if you have 60 against the amount of milk that came in today into that spoon. Again, 60 times the amount of milk that came into that spoon today. That's all I'm interested in. So if it's a big pot, and you're just stirring with a little spoon, or you're only inserting a certain amount of the spoon into the, into the pot, you can't have more than the amount that you, that you stirred in the pot. So let's say, for example, you absorbed a, a lot today, but you only stuck the tip of it in, or you stuck only up the, the spoon part in. So that's the most you were, you were exposed to. And that's the biggest amount. Even if I stirred 10 quarts of milk today, but I can't have more milchiks than the spoon. So, and since I only stuck part of the spoon in, then all I have is that part of the spoon that I have to have 60 against. And when we, when we try to analyze that, whether you're having 60 against the, sp the spoon that was inserted. So Shulchan Aruch says, when you insert a spoon, it's only that part that goes in that we have to worry about. But how do we know that you know how much you inserted? Sometimes you dig down deep with the spoon. Obviously, I have to hold on to something, but maybe a large, lot of the spoon is inserted. When sometimes you only insert a little bit in the spoon, of the spoon in the pot. But how are we to know? Especially imagine those long spoons that, are, that the professionals use. Very, they're very, very long, and there's plenty of part of the spoon that's not inserted in the pot very often. But how do we know? Because we have a rule that a person who is not aware of something cannot possibly know what he's doing. Because he, he didn't think of it before. The case in the Gemara and in the Shulchan Aruch is where a person uh, shechted. And he was ignorant of the laws of shechita. I met such a person. He says he thinks he's doing shechita. He never learned the halachas of shechita. He's not a religious Jew. But he, he calls it shechita. He says, but he says, I'm doing shechita. He's wrong because he doesn't know the halachas. He's never been trained. He, he could not possibly know if he's doing shechita or not. There are, there are five special laws that you have to know exactly, and you have to know not just the halacha, but you have to know about the feel, and, 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 and it's got to do with your, with, your, uh, with, with your own agility and your, your own movement. And, and one little movement off could make a trafe. So he doesn't know all this stuff. So the Gemara says, what happens if a person learns the laws of Shrita and he says, bari li I know that when I shecht, I'm doing just that. But the Gemara says, he, and the Halacha says, we don't trust him. Even though he says, I'm guaranteeing you that I, all the time this is exactly what I do, we don't believe him at all. Because he didn't have it in his mind. So how in the world can we know what you inserted in this pot? Because when you inserted the spoon... You didn't realize that it was a milk spoon or you never would have used it. So when you stuck it into the pot, you thought it was a flesh spoon. 
So I, how can we trust you that you know what you did when you weren't aware of the problem before? There's a famous story about a criminology class, a college course they're studying about criminology, about crime. And in the middle of the class, a man walks in, actually runs in, and he grabs a woman's pocketbook and he runs out the door. And the class goes sugar. And they go sugar, And they're all ready to beat him up and get... And the professor says, sit down. This was all a stunt. Now, I want to ask you a question. What color was his shirt? And nobody gets it right. And that's how he taught the class that day. That if you don't have it in your mind before, if you don't know what you're going to be asked, you're never going to get it right. And nobody got it right. So the question is, how are you going to know if you, what you inserted in the, sp in the spoon? Well, if it was wet until here, so that, that's a giveaway. But if, if there aren't simon, if it's been a few minutes, and I'm not sure how far it was, you can't see from the thing. But the guy says, I know I didn't put it in deeper than this. Can we believe him? So Rav Yecheska Landau, the, the famous Noda Yehuda, says we can trust him even though we know that a person can't be trusted on that which he didn't know before, like the man who didn't know the Hilch Shrita, and then we, he tells us he, he did the right thing, we don't believe him. But this person, this particular person, who says that I only stuck it in this far, we believe him. Because, when I want to just read the words to you, it's very interesting words. Here's the Lushen of Note of Yehuda. He says, In other words, he says that since a Jew knows that sometimes he's going to be responsible for kashrus issues, so deep in his mind, he's already taking into account what's going on in this room. Even though right now I think I'm doing everything perfectly. I think it's a fleshika spoon, it's a fleshika pot. I'm not thinking about the problem. But somewhere in the recesses of your mind, you know that you will someday be responsible for kashrus issues. So a person is taking a sort of a, a mental note. When I learned this note of Yehuda, I was so amazed because this note of Yehuda is saying to us a very interesting thing. Note of Yehuda is telling us He's getting deep inside the Jew, real psychologically, deep inside what a Jew is. The Jew is constantly aware of his avodas hamelech. In everything he does, he's constantly aware that he's oimei lefnei hamelech, that he's going to be called to account for what he does in his life, that he understands that somehow I can't escape from it. And what you do, you're aware of because you know that everything does count. It's a beautiful touch in what, uh, what a Jew is. And that's how I understood this note of Yehuda. We still have time if anybody calls in. Uh, and if you want to know, uh, I'd just like to let, let some of our listeners know that we go through these shiurim. I have three shiurim a week now on Yeridea. It seems a lot of people, Baruch Hashem, are coming. And if anyone would like to join, they're certainly welcome. We have a shiur on Sunday morning 
at 10 o'clock at 1358 East 13th Street. That's 1358 East 13th at 10 o'clock in the morning. From, uh, from That's between avenues M and N, 1358 East 13th. And we're now learning Hilchas uh, Taruvas. We're doing Simon Kufhei, which we just started, which is a mini Shulchan Aruch. It's a very, very interesting Simon because every single if every drop of the of the Simon has in it like a different topic. We just did now the Indian of Kli Rishon and Kli Shani. On Sunday night, we have a new program which was just started. Baruch Hashem, we have a nice oilum over there, and many of these people are learning in order to get smicha. They're very serious group, Baruch Hashem, a very fine group, and they, we learn from 8.30 to 9.45 on Sunday nights at 1114 Avenue O. Again, 1114 Avenue O. The Avrechim Shul, they're between East 12th and Coney Island the Avenue, 1114 Avenue O, Sunday night at 8.30 to 9.45. And Thursday night, we do Basavacholov, which everybody enjoys, and uh, we have some very nice people in that group, and they've been with us for a while already. And that uh, that group is released from 8.30 to 9.45 at Avrechem 1114 Avenue O. So you have three different possible shiurim. If you're a man listening, join us. If you're a woman, send your husband, your son, whatever. We have Baruch Hashem, very nice groups in these in these three shiurim. And if you want any more details, there's no charge for any of this. If you any, want any uh, details, you can call us at 718 336-8544. And again, if you want to order the magazine on the J Deal Special, J Root and J Deal Special, at $15 rather than $25 a year, call us at 718-336-8544 or email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Now somebody uh, texted in over here and uh, he said, what was the Starbucks drink you said was really pyrva? It was Starbucks coffee that they're selling in a 48-ounce size in the regular supermarkets. Uh, there's a n- number of stores that are carrying these products today, but it was specifically the one uh, that I mentioned. I can't, I can't talk for everything. I'm talking about uh, that's produced by North American Coffee Partnership in Purchase, New York, and there are no dairy ingredients listed. But uh, on some of the bottles, they're going to say OU, and some are going to say OUD. And we said over here tonight is that halakhically it is OU. Not, it's not dairy, really. But the OU, uh, because of their thoroughness, would love to be sure that the cleaning that's done in between is sufficient. And therefore, they would like to call it uh, OUD, because they can't have somebody there every time they clean the equipment. However, they say that the halacha is, it is parva. But now, they're not going to have a plain OU anymore. They're only going to be marking it with an OUD. And that's a very common thing. When you go into stores, you're going to find products that have both on the, on the same shelf sometimes with a dairy and not dairy listing. Well, what's going on over here? The usual answer is it's shifting. It's becoming dairy or it's becoming parva, and some of the residue is left from the previous runs. And that's probably the one that says OU is hopefully only parva. And the one that says OUD 
you have to consider dairy unless you happen to know. The OU permits you to call them. Their telephone number is 212-563-4000. They permit you to call them every six months and ask about a product, whether it really is dairy or it's really a parva, but they're putting a D on for some because the equipment is dairy. So a lot of times there's no dairy ingredient. It's only the equipment. And luckily it may be parva, and that's something you could always ask at the EOU. I'm amazed that they're willing to answer those questions, but they do. They will answer you whether it's really parva or, or it's, or it's uh, parva ingredients in uh, dairy equipment, or in this particular case, that the product they consider to really be parva completely, which is very, very interesting. Um, takes a lot of time for them, and they don't want to put a DE designation on the product. That's the OU policy even though it's costing them a lot of time and money to explain to everybody every few months. Uh, it's so many people are calling up, and they tell you to check every six months. It's, gonna, it's costing them millions of dollars by not putting on that DE. I, I'm, I'm shocked that they will be willing to, to continue this process. If I were them, I would just give it up right away and call everything, you know, say, uh, use a DE when it's appropriate. Part of it has to do with the companies because the companies don't want to put the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, they want to be straight. What happens is if they don't have a dairy ingredient, but they may potentially have to use a dairy ingredient. So they're going to say DE, and then the OU is going to say to them, but you're switching over now and it's becoming really dairy. You have to get rid of all your labels. They may have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of labels stored up. It's not, it's not a small amount that it could have because one company could have hundreds of products. To share with you a number, I know, the, I know you're going to be a little shocked, but the company Heinz probably has 30,000 different labels. 30,000 different labels in their store. In the, in the plant. Why do they have 30,000? Because they make 500 products. And that they make 500 products, but it's not just Heinz. They're making a private label for many people. So with their customers and themselves and their 500 products, there are about 30,000 different labels there. And if they would have to, a problem with the, with the OU, you would tap them on the shoulder and say, you now have to use D. You can't use DE anymore. That would, that, would, <laughs> that would cost them a whole quarter's earnings uh, on their stock. It would be a terrible thing. So they don't take that chance. So therefore, the OU has an advantage over some of the other hashkachas because they're not fooling the people. They're, they're saying, we're going to call it dairy. Maybe it's luckily not dairy, but we're going to call it dairy. So this way we cover the bases for the uh, producer. So actually it's a chesed they do for the companies themselves. Now, I'm just going to continue a little bit because we have a few minutes left. I'm going to continue with my halacha that I was discussing till now. So I'm going to share with you one of the most amazing halachas in the Shulchan Aruch as far as I'm concerned. And that is, I mean, the whole area I'm going to discuss is, is very kadai. Maybe we'll do into it again sometime, although I wouldn't do it next week. The... the the question comes up, I now have a parava soup 
and it's a fleshika pot. The fleshika pot was not used for 24 hours for meat. And I'm stirring it with a milchika spoon. So what do I do? It's a milchika spoon, Ben Yomo. The, the vegetables soup is parva. The keli hasn't been used for 24 hours. And even if it was used, it was used for fleishiks, but 24 hours ago, so it doesn't make the fleishiks, doesn't make it anything. And what do we do? Is everything okay? Well, the soup is 100% kosher. But it was stirred with a milchika spoon. So it's the same thing as like it was cooked in a milchika pot. But it was cooked in a fleishika pot. No, it was cooked in a fleishika pot, but the fleishika pot's ain't a ben yomo. So therefore, the soup is not going to become halakhically fleishiks. But it's going to become halakhically milchiks and when we call not by not, a secondary flavor. Like when something's made on dairy equipment, this is as if it was cooked in a dairy pot. So therefore, the soup has to be considered to be used only, cannot be used with fleishiks. Okay, so that's an interesting halach in itself. Then comes along the minigaramor. The minigaramor says that you have a problem vis-a-vis this pot. This pot, he says, you're going to have to consider it to be treif. Why? <laughs> Why is it treif? The pot is treif. Why is the pot treif? The food is not treif. Yeah, the food is not treif. The food is going to be dairy equipment. But the pot, you're going to have to call treif. Why? Because there was a not bar not bar not. A drop, uh, the milk went into the spoon. The milk came out of the spoon into the vegetable soup. And in the vegetable soup, another time it went into the walls of the pot. So the third level of flavor that's going into the pot. And since it's a fleshika pot, and it's a milchika spoon, so we're going to call it now, according to the minigar more, it should be kashered. So when these questions come up, yeah, we're going to save the soup. Nothing wrong with the spoon. But the pot should be kosher. Had it been the, ver- at the converse, that the, the pot would have been a ben yomo and the, uh, and, and the, the, the par of a soup in a ben yomo pot, and the spoon is an ain a ben yomo, then we'd have to kosher the spoon. That's the minig haramor. And I said the minig haramor, I'm not going to go into that whole topic, but it's going to call the minig haramor that we'd have to kosher the pot or the spoon, as the case may be, whichever is not a ben yomo, that's the one that gets absorbed from the ben yomo spoon indirectly. What's really interesting, and we will save for another day, is the topic about when you dishwasher shila, when you use milchiks and fleishiks in the dishwasher, or milchiks and fleishiks under the faucet at the same time, what is the din then? Because now, even if they're clean, but it's milchiks and fleishiks, and the, 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 whatever is absorbed in one might go into the other. So a long topic, and we have to save it for when we have a full evening to discuss it. So again, I'll just remind the people of what we were talking about earlier. Number one, we have shiurim that if anyone would like to come, we have a shir on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at 1358 East 13th Street, where we're learning Hilchas Taruvis. And at night, we have a shear at 8.30 till 9.45, Marv following, at 1114 Avenue O. And we have a shear on Thursday night 
at 1114 Avenue O, 8.30 to 9.45, and that one is on Basa B'cholov, very interesting topics, all very practical in your life. And some people are taking these programs uh, to get smicha. So if anybody's interested in that for whatever reason, you can contact us as well. There's no charge at all for the shiurim. In addition, I offer tonight the special of the Kashrus magazine for an entire year for $15 instead of $25. If you're interested in that, call us at 718-336-8544. Again, 718-336-8544. Or you can email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. And uh, if you have any topics you would like us to discuss on this show, you can also email us at kashrus at AOL.com, and we'll be able to uh, put together a program that we hope that will be helpful to you. I know that many people are away and this haven't come back yet. We hope by next week we'll have more people in the listening audience. Many people don't know that you have various ways that you can hear the show. I, even on the way I was walking here to give my show, people, uh, somebody stopped me and said uh, they're not hearing it anymore, and I told them how they could hear it. So just to re- review those ways that you can listen to the show, uh, you can hear it live and recorded at any time on, on J Root Radio, J-R-O-O-T, Root, that's Root, J-R-O-O-T, radio.com. You go to that station, and you can listen uh, live at 6 o'clock on Monday evenings, or you can get listen to recorded. You look for Cautious on the Air, Look at my picture in Kashas on the Air, and each week it says what, uh, the, you know, the week of the, we, the, the different weeks, just pick whichever you want. In Kashas Magazine, every issue, we list exactly what was discussed, who we had as interviewed, and what the topics we discussed in each and every week of this show. So if, you were, if you're trying to find a specific thing, the way they do it is through Conscious Magazine, the section, two pages every time, telling you exactly what was on this, these shows, and then you can go to the archives and pick it up. Also, you can call us at 718-506-9099, or you can listen again at 712-432-4217. Those are the ways that you can listen to our Conscious on the Air over J Root Radio, and until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, uh, editor of Cautious Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.